I want to take February. In my mind, I've declared February Family February. So we're going to have a series of messages about family. And it probably won't be exactly what you're expecting. Because um, if you've been here at, at all, you know that I'm just not normal. And so none of the messages are. And so there we go. So this is my month. And I just want to take a month and talk about um, family, a family for the glory of God. And this is my big thing. And I think by the time we're done, you'll understand what I was talking about. And through the miracles of technology, you can go back on the website and listen to it through again, and maybe it will make sense. But I do kind of recommend that. Through one reason and another. Remember we just did that sermon series through Romans 8. Um, Somebody asked me for the notes on that. And uh, unfortunately, I had only written poor notes for about half of the messages. And so I thought, well, I want to give them the notes. So I went through the messages and made notes. And I was like... This is true. All this stuff is true. This is crazy. I, I, you know, after seven years, I've stopped wanting to throw up whenever I heard my voice on a recording. And I just go, to, it's not about me. It's, about, it's just like, this is true. And so uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his word and for truth and um, somebody telling you the truth. Because we often hear the, the truth of God more loudly through other people. And we're meant to, to live together. So this is my goal. And... Um, So we're going to talk about family, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to nerd out for a little bit. Father, thank you so much for this time just to be together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the Bible. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the calling in it. Father, thank you that it just tells us about Jesus, and so we can know who your son is. Father, I thank you that the Bible is full of surprises, that you are more holy then we guess, but you're also more forgiving and more good than we could ever hope. And when we come to Jesus, we get all of you without measure. And so God, thank you. Father, I thank you that your desire is actually to make a family in the earth, a family that you are the father of. And so God, I pray that you just use this time to build us together as family. Father, I I pray that you do the miracle of helping us get it and that you'd give rebirth everywhere it's needed. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so I promised you some nerdiness, and I intend to deliver. All right, let's get this next slide going up here. Today's date, February 3rd, 2019. What is weird about February? This is the interaction portion of the message. So what's weird about February as a month? It's short, right? It's only about 4-8. It wears platform shoes to parties to try to measure it, look okay in the picture. No, it's short. It's only 28 days. How how long is a month usually? 30 or 31, right? So February is 28 days. And because of how the earth goes around the sun, every four years, February gets to February 29th. It's a leap year. But even that way, when you have leap years, the years are still about 11 minutes too long. And so every 100 years, you miss a leap year to add up for that I think it's every 100 years, every 400 years, one of those two. You you gather up together those 11 minutes, and we just live in a complicated world. But February is weird. And it just I just want to take a moment and just be like, let's notice the world we live in a little bit. Somebody decided that February should have 28 days. And we've been running with it our whole life. Okay? You never never even stopped and be like, shut up, 28 days? I don't want a 28-day month. I'm worthy of a 30-day month every month. And Tim Hortons. So where did this even come from? Well, there's a few different theories about it, um, like there is with everything that's really old, a few different theories, but ultimately it comes from the Romans, which is fine. And as Christians, we have to deal with Romans every once in a while because Jesus was born into the Roman Empire, and um, there were lots of Romans interacting with Christ and his apostles, and so we know a little bit about them. Um, And there's a couple of theories. One of the theories is that there was this guy named Numa who was like the second king of Rome, and what they used to do was they had 10 months, and then in winter, they just didn't have months. They're just like, what's the point? It's just... it's. This is just, it's winter, blah, which we can all appreciate. Like, why even keep track of time? Just go to bed and wake up in March. That's essentially what they did. They started tracking time. I think it was the first full moon in spring. They started picking up their months again, and then they just did 10 months from there. And somewhere on the line, they, they decided that it, that wasn't really helpful, and so they threw in a couple of months with January and February. And they had some superstitions about which days were lucky or unlucky, and so they 
they just wanted one unlucky month that had equal number of days, and they decided it should be February because it is the worst month to be alive. Right? They, they understood that someone was going to move to Manitoba one day and that they anticipated our pain, and here we are. Another theory that's been kicking around that's kind of out of favor nowadays for one reason or another, and there's fads in these things, so who knows, is that um, February lost a day to Caesar Augustus. So two of our months are named after Roman Caesars, Roman emperors, men who thought they were half godlike, who ruled over the entire empire, Roman Empire, all the way from England, okay, picture it in your mind, through France, parts of Germany, Spain, Italy, Greece, Macedonia, Turkey, the Middle East, Israel, down to Egypt and around to Namibia, which is northern Africa. They just ruled all of that, one person. And the first person to do that was Julius Caesar. And so everyone decided it would be great to name a month after him, which is our month, July. And then his successor, who um, was his adopted nephew, I think, or great-nephew, his name was Octavius, but when he uh, became Caesar, they renamed him Augustus, which just means like awesome or something like that. And they decided he needed a month too, right? Because when you're half God, you get to get a month too. And so they named the month after July, August, named after a guy. And the theory, was, I think, was kind of like, you don't usually have two 31-day months in a row, and so maybe Caesar Augustus was, didn't want to have the 30-day month after a 31-day month because he's also half-god, and so he, he needed to get his 31-day in there too, maybe stole it from February. This is a kind of the theory, and I think one of the reasons why it stuck around so much is because that's exactly what Caesars did. So a little bit later down the line, I think it was Caligula. I'm not totally sure. Caligula was one of the most crazy ones out of all the emperors. And he decided that if it was good enough for Julius and if it was good enough for Augustus, he should actually have all the months of the year named after himself. So when he became Caesar, he gave himself 12 names, something along the lines of, if I had done it, Robert, super awesome, brave, powerful warrior, undefeated, mega muscles, awesome mustache, Belfour. Something like that, 12 names. And then he just decided, and each day of the month will be one of my names. So January is now Robert, and February is Super Awesome Robert, and then March is actually Super Awesome Cool Robert, and then, you know, just because, you know, if you're going to have time, it might as well revolve around me because I'm the Caesar. That's the idea. That's where months come from. There you go. I promised you some nerdiness. We're almost there. So what do you notice about the second part there? Not the February 3rd part, but the other number. The 2019, where does that come from? Do you remember when the one was? Roughly, when was the one? That's when Jesus was born. So somewhere around the year 500, somebody started keeping track about this thing, and somewhere around the year 800, they adopted this to be their calendar, because usually what the people did was they, would, they wouldn't just have like a number that they kept adding to. They would say, oh, it's the second year of this king, or the 14th year of that king. If you read First and Second Kings, that's how they did it. In the third, reign, third year of this guy's reign, this guy started to reign. And they would just number things by who was ruling when. And somebody obviously had the bright idea. It's like, we've got a king who's still ruling. Let's just start with him at one, and it's just going to keep going. Because he came back from the dead, and this is the roughly, you know, people say it was off by a couple of years or whatever, and bless them, I'll let people who actually know how to do math figure that stuff out. But roughly, Jesus has been the king for about 2019 years. So in our calendar, we have this conflict of visions. Part of it is about the world revolving around people. And part of it is the world revolving around Jesus Christ. Every day of the year, and especially July and August. Two visions of life. Does the world revolve around people? Or does the world revolve around Jesus Christ? Every time you write a check and you put the date in there, it's hitting you in the face. People think that time and the universe revolves around them. And the universe revolves around Jesus. Amen? 
And nowadays in the universities and stuff, they're trying to get rid of the, the Jesus thing. So we, we used to say BC, before Christ. That's everything that happened before. And then it was countdowns from whatever down to zero. And that's when Jesus was born, or one. And then AD, which in Latin is Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. So that's how we used to do it. And in, in the universities, they're trying to get rid of that. So it's now current era, era CE, or BCE, before current era. And they're trying to like just expunge the Christianity out of the timekeeping, though the one is still the one. So it's kind of like, so when did the era start? Yeah, when Jesus was born in Jerusalem. But let's not talk about it. Let's look at the stars, you know, and stuff like that. So, but that's the reality. And this is what my message is about today. And you and your place in a family. Do you think everything revolves around you? Like, like Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus? Or... Do you know that actually everything revolves around Jesus Christ? Like the last part of the date says. It's not an easy answer, and human nature is the first one, not the last one. Amen. So let's talk about family. Um, There's all different kinds of family, right? Different layers. We use that word in different ways. Um, and so let's just run through some of the options. There's like a biological family, right? So kid's born, he's got a mom, he's got a dad, she's got a mom, she's got a dad. It might have some sisters. Here are people who are more or less related by blood, we would say, or genetics or something like that. But even when that happens, it's not just biology. A family isn't just people who are genetically connected or connected by blood because you really hope that the mom and the dad aren't full brother and sister, Right? That would be a little awkward. And if that's you, there's grace, but that's a little bit awkward and it's not God's will. Um, before the babies come, usually there is you know, a joining of family between a man and a woman. And it's usually a legal thing, right? So family involves blood and family also involves law and covenant and making public promises that we're going to be together. And there's also an extended family, right? So when you meet that super cute men babe and you're hoping and finding out that she's not too uninterested in you either. It's not like when you propose and the ring comes out that, that she's all that's involved in it. She comes along with a mom and a dad and a bunch of sisters and a hundred other direct relatives. <laughs> one hundred. And you have to meet them all in one trip over Christmas in three family gatherings from your family that has 12 people in it all together. <laughs> That's extended family. And it extends, right? If we're around Steinbeck, it extends. It extends, it extends, it extends. But we've got extended family. Anybody have complicated extended family? There you go. There's also adoptive families, right? Where you can bring someone into your family by law so that they become a child And it's recognized by everybody, including the government. We've done that. There's also foster families. There's family where, for a time, you know, a child or somebody comes into a home and they're cared for because they need some family. And foster families will tell you that's family. Feels like family. And when they go, it hurts like family. That's family. There's mixed families. Maybe some families have fallen apart or broken apart through one reason or another, and then they come together, and there's a bunch of people in it, and it's mixed, and there's challenges there. But that's family. There's also beyond just blood and law. In the New Testament, the Old Testament, households and families also would sometimes include slaves, people who came into a household by purchase. Awkward. But when the Apostle Paul would be addressing how Christian families should live, he would often say, and you who are slaves live like this, because they're part of the family, even though they were bought and kind of legally belonged to somebody in there. And that's just weird, and what do we do about this? There's also church family, right? Church family, us, those people that you see each Sunday before you run out the door to go watch the Super Bowl. And in some sense, we can feel like this is like the low-grade family, right? This is low-grade family. And if, if your church family ain't, she ain't doing it for you, you just, you know, you can always check with Southland for a little bit until you find another family that fits you a little bit better. Or you can sneak in and out of the E-Free without too many people saying hi until you church plant your own little dealio. And it just, you know, mix and match, do this thing. And the weird thing about that is that um, you took communion, right? 
which is actually participating in a covenant that says to God, me and everybody who shares this is one people forever. It's an eternal covenant. If you took it, what you were saying to us and to God is, this is my family forever. And you know what? Marriage family can end. When, when you die, your marriage is over. This family doesn't end. It doesn't end. If you did it in faith and it's true, he said, I, I, I receive the covenant of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and this is my family forever. So you know, oh man, you know, you get that, oh man, guess who's going to be your next door neighbor for the first million years of eternity? Uh. Me. Uh. Right? Not <laughs> not. Sorry. Ah, you want to buy it? Oh. Somebody? Nobody? It's a Seinfeld thing. Whatever. You're welcome. I, I, I didn't practice, and you can't tell. What am I trying to say? The reality is, is that church family lasts forever. Though the practice is that this is the, the, probably the more disposable relationship kind of stuff. But if you're a Christian, and God is your dad, church family lasts forever, and every other kind of family connection it actually does fall away in some sense. Or it, it, it doesn't last. Like, we're all going to die, right? And I know that sometimes people talk about, like, family members watching over us from heaven. The Bible never talks about it like that. Or coming back to encourage us and appear to us. There's only two times in the Bible where people come back from the dead. The first time is Samuel to Saul, and he's not happy about it. And the second time is that Moses and Elijah show up to talk to Jesus. But that's different because Jesus is life and he is heaven. So when they showed up to talk with him, they weren't actually leaving heaven to come down to earth. It's just that heaven was on earth that time. So they went to go be with heaven on earth from heaven in heaven. But Jesus says there's a divide. People don't come back. So we really are separated by death. Every kind of family. Except in Jesus. Except by his blood unless you're in the church. So I'm just trying to put an exclamation mark. We, we treat the church family as kind of the, the one you just put your time in. That's the one that lasts forever. So, and so what I'm, what I'm want to do, I just want to start us off well. The hope, Lord willing, is that there'll be kind of three more messages. One talking about loving each other. One talking about telling the truth to each other. One talking about helping each other grow. And, uh, but I want us to start off well. And so I want us to go to the next slide. And, and all I want to do this morning is, is get us to think two thoughts, okay? The, the first thought is this. I am in a family to glorify God. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's why you're there. That's the first most basic thing. If you're in a family, whatever it looks like, and if you're a Christian, you are in at least one kind of family, but you probably have an extended family, even if you're alone or wherever your permutation is right now, and things change over time, whatever kind of family you're in, you're there to glorify God by trusting Him and obeying Him and loving Him. That's your purpose before anything else. Amen? Okay, right there, a lot of things just went into place. Oh, I never thought about that before. It's okay. But if you're in a family, whoever you are, whatever you are, church family, physical family, biological family, mixed family, extended family, adoptive family, rela- extended relational family, foster family, whatever it might be, your purpose in God's sight is to bring Him glory as a part of that family. And as families, our mission is to produce godly offspring or to contribute towards producing godly offspring to help there be more people who live for the glory of god that's what i mean by that so let me just pick up one scripture for the sake of time it's at the end of the old testament it's malachi the prophet malachi not the young lad though he's cool too the prophet Malachi writes a series of just like corrections to the Levites in the Old Testament, things they're doing wrong, attitudes they have wrong, and he's coming at their family issues when it comes to their marriages because they have adopted a divorce culture, an easy divorce culture. 
Um, and God, God is confronting them about it. And, you know, I'm talking about this, and my goal here is not to make anybody feel exposed or, or um, hamstrung or hopeless. Um, the reality is that none of the elders of this church come from ideal Christian families. None of them. None of them. Okay? We start where we are, and to the glory of God, we put our eyes to Jesus and start trying to be faith-filled and obedient and loving to him from wherever you are. That's the Christian way. You start where you are, and you turn your eyes to Jesus, and wherever you're at, you start glorifying him from there. Okay? So, as far as I understand, everybody here is a mess in their family life. As far as I understand, I know a lot of people. I hear a lot of stuff. Um, because I'm on all the gossip chains on Facebook. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, everybody here has stuff to weep over in their family. Okay. Just so you know. Everybody. So don't feel exposed. Don't feel condemned. Everybody here has stuff to weep over in their family. Everybody has a lot of pain from their family, whatever sense that is. So just saying that. So what God says to the, these people. He says, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears. So just picture them. They're weeping. Something's going wrong. They're seeking the Lord. You're weeping and groaning because he, meaning the Lord, no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion, companion excuse me, and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Answer, godly offspring. That's Malachi 2, starting in verse 13. So here's God just confronting these, these people, uh, I think the Levites in specifically, and just saying to them, hey, when I, when, I, when I joined you to your wife in the covenant of marriage, I showed up and I put the spirit in you. And I, I wonder if what he means is I empowered you to bear image uh, bearers. I empowered you to make little people, which is never by accident and is always a miracle and is always a work of the Spirit. Every time a child is conceived inside of a woman, it is always a work of the Spirit who is making a miracle, which is a being created in the image of God every time. So I wonder if that's what he's talking about. I joined you together with a portion of your Spirit. I enabled you to bear children. And he says, what was I looking for? I, I was looking for godly offspring. That was the point. That was the goal. That you would give back to me, worshipers. I give you each other. I give you the children. The point is that you would give back to me, grown-ups who are living for my glory. Amen? And so I could go through pretty much all scripture. This is, I was telling somebody after the, the last one, this is such a hard message to do because it's like, which scripture do I preach out of? Uh, they all say this. This is what every book of the Bible is about. It's about living for God's glory, and it's about the generations. Like, Genesis starts. Genesis 1. He says, I make you male and female in my image. Go have a ton of babies. And that's just like about having offspring for God's glory. The whole thing is about that. The whole whole thing. The call of God to live for God's glory in a family. And even salvation. What is being saved? It's being rescued from having the devil as your dad. Because he's a bad dad. He's a liar and a cheat and a skunk, and a fink, and a holocaust promoter, and a mass murderer. Salvation is getting rescued from having him as your dad, and getting God as your dad, and joining the family of God. That is what it means to be saved. You get a new dad. So I'm just, I'm just saying, and what is missions? Missions is making babies for the Lord by preaching the gospel to people so that they get re-what? Reborn. Born again as God's children, and then we disciple them and help them to live for his glory, and then go on to make other people who live for it. So I've really struggled. Which, which sermon, which scripture should I use? The whole Bible. This is the whole Bible. So may the Lord be strong where I'm weak. This is why we do baby, baby dedications, right? Not just because they're cute, even though they are cute. We're trying to acknowledge we didn't actually make these babies. Like... This is a miracle of God. It belongs to God, and we give it back to you, God, hoping that you will do the real work of making this a being that lives forever in your glory. That's why we do it. 
Okay, so now that we've gotten this far, let's get all get really uncomfortable and offended all at the same time. Because I want to just offer a few thoughts about things that get in the way of us living for the glory of God, and particularly living as a family for the glory of God. Okay? We'll talk just what could get in the way of this. Because there's a sense where it's like, yeah, this makes sense. And then if you think about it, you're like, yeah, I'd never do this. Anybody else? Yeah, that makes sense. Everything should be about God's glory. And I don't think I ever do this. Okay, what, what gets in the way? This is my question. What gets in the way? And I just want to say, just to make everybody upset and hurt everybody's feeling, make everybody equally upset at me, where I'm going to go is I'm going to say that I think in our culture, we get sidetracked from living for God's glory because among the women in particular, but everybody else as well, there's a culture where we expect to be flattered, and offended all the time. And for the men, there's a culture where we expect to be seduced and distracted all the time. So instead of living for God's glory, we're living just to be flattered and offended, or we're living to be seduced and distracted. And I'm going to deal with each one of these in turn. So it all started with a t-shirt. We got a shipment of t-shirts into our house recently because we just love online shopping, and if you don't have to drive to a store in January, then... You've probably just saved yourself a thousand dollars in car repairs. And so the shipment came in, and there were some shirts for the boys, which were kind of just jokey. One of them says like "Fresh Beats" on it, and has a picture of a beat with sunglasses. Right? Like that dad jokes, living for the dad jokes. Everybody knows that dad jokes is the pinnacle of humor, right? <laughs> it's the only thing that it's the only thing that brings discomfort. And love at the same time, like a dad joke. It's like, that was painful to listen to, and I'm so glad you're here. It's just how it works. But don't say that in front of my friends. That's this. It's just so wonderful. And um, anyhow, these, these, shirt, these things came in. One of the kids, um, one of the girls, just got a shirt with flowers on it. And we were talking about, like, shirts with messages and stuff. And, and she just said, all the shirts just say, girls rule the world. And so she didn't want a shirt like that. And and I was thinking about that. Why are, we, why are we making so many t-shirts like girls rule the world and stuff like this? And, and I'd been mulling over this kind of thing before because I went for a walk back in the days when it wasn't snowy all the time and somebody had been out with their sidewalk chalk and they'd written girl power on the sidewalk with all these like things and all this stuff. And I was like, what's up with that? What's up with that? Because you can keep the power word and change the girl word and it doesn't work for almost anything else. Right? So if somebody had scribbled out girl and put white in there, that'd be bad. Right? So the first one was kind of cute. The second one was real bad. In fact, almost anything that sounds racial, you can't follow by the word power in a sentence without making a lot of people offended or uncomfortable. Right? Are you, are you with me so, so far? So, and so why does it work? Why, do you, why, do you, why, why is it okay with us if we make t-shirts that say girls rule the world when we know they don't. And we also know that guys don't really rule the world. Your only options are God rules the world or nobody does. Those are the only two options. Either God rules the world because he's able to or nobody does because it's all just time and chance and whoever has the biggest gun wins. Right? Why, why, why do we have the t-shirts though? Because it just makes people feel good. Which words just to make people feel good is called flattery. And you use flattery to manipulate people. And we're okay with that. It's just part of our culture. There is an expectation. Not everybody here, I know we're all above this and, and much more sanctified, but there is a, an expectation in our public discourse that women are constantly being complimented. You can do whatever you want and be whoever you want and accomplish whatever you want and no one can stand in your way. Right? And when people say that, we don't go like, that's so pagan. You think you're Caesar Augustus or Caligula, the really crazy one. You think you can rename me months after yourself. No, that's not true. No, no. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he said he's the one who rules over the world. That's why Jesus was taken to heaven to sit on a throne. He's the one who rules over the world. Not women, not men, not boys, not girls, not whites, not blacks, not Asians, not prime ministers, not presidents, not anybody. Just Jesus. And that's the truth. Right? So why is it why do we do it? On the other hand, 
there's a lot of victimhood. Meaning what? When it doesn't work out that you get to be whoever you want to be and do who, or whatever you want to do and accomplish whatever you want to do, and when it turns out that someone actually can stand in your way, we're victims because it was supposed to work. I've been told since I was a kid I can do whatever I want, be who I want, and it's not working out. Who's to blame? Right? Somebody's messing up my plan. Somebody promised me ruling the world. I'm not getting it. Who's messing it up? And on mass and in the public discourse, it tends to be the patriarchy, right? Some secret society of men who are pulling all the strings on history and keeping the sisters down. And the thing that really messes people up is that they, they come to church and they hear the gospel and they come to Jesus and they're kind of excited and then they read the Bible and they find that the Bible actually calls women to things like submitting to their husbands. Like the church should submit to Christ. Or it says things like in First Timothy, things like, I don't permit a woman, to, a woman to teach and have authority over a man, not to be an elder. And then, and they're just like, that can be right. That that can be right. That doesn't sound like I'm being told that I'm equal to everybody and can do whatever I want. That can't be right. It must be the patriarchy. The Bible must be full of the patriarchy. It's not actually the word of God. It's only the word of God once you get the patriarchy out of there, and then it's the word of God once God said what I wished He had said. And it is a deal. So I was reading a book by uh, the, the wife of uh, probably America's most famous reformed pastor in New York. And she was saying that she had a, a friendship with a woman who was really excited about the church until she found out they actually believed that this stuff was God's word. And her response was, you might as well have told me that you promote pedophilia. Oh my because it, it was so disgusting to her, the idea that God might actually make a difference and say no to somebody. So offensive. You might as well just be abusing baby. That was her response. It's a stumbling block. And the, the problem is that she had been told her whole life that she rules the world. And she came crashing into the God who does. That was the problem. And then the, the victimhood thing comes in, and, and we're seeing even in our culture now a real wave peaking in this in places like New York where they recently uh, legalized abortion up to birth so like you can actually kill the baby during the contractions of birth for these women as long as they haven't gotten out and breathed the air then they're and then in Virginia I think they were they were pushing for a law where even after the birth you had a few minutes to decide what to do with it this is how it works the moms are the rulers of the world so they get to do what they want and if anyone tries to stop them, they're the victims. And when you're the victim, you need to be able to defend yourself, even if it means defending yourself to the death. Because I'm getting threatened. And if I need to use violence to defend myself, I will. That's how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous about any group of people claiming to be the victims. Because the victimhood is always an excuse for self-defense, and the self-defense expresses itself through destroying your enemies, your perceived enemies. Amen? Well, of course we had to destroy that church or that guy's life or that guy's business. Of course we did. We were, he was hurting us by not agreeing with us. We're the queens of the world. And we were threatened. And we were hurting. Right? On the other hand, now... Let me, let me pick on the guys a bit more specifically, though you may find yourself in the first camp as well. Um, the guys tend to want to be seduced and distracted. So for me, when I'm talking about being seduced, it is the promise that you can get something precious for cheap and without responsibility. That's what every seduction is. The promise you can get something worthwhile and precious without the cost of having to earn it or the responsibility of having to take care of it. So it works with money. You know, you get those emails every once in a while. I don't know how many princes there are in Kenya, but all of them have asked me to help them wire money into Canada, right? Some lawyer for some, I don't even know if they even have princes. It's like, we're a democracy. Uh, oh, I don't know that. And um, the seduction is you can make 100 grand for nothing, right? Just send me your banking details and you can get 100 grand. That's a seduction. It's treasure without cost or responsibility. And it's a lie, right? Um, and it, it definitely comes up in the word of sexuality. That's why we're having this humongous pornography epidemic because to really have a godly sexual relationship costs you your life. Okay, so God's way of 
doing sexuality for men is if you haven't made a covenant with her that you will die before you leave her, you cannot have orgasms with her. That's God's law. And you're like, well, there's that, or there's just the price of monthly internet. Which one's easier? Which one has less cost? All the beautiful women you can handle, and you don't even have to marry them or buy them dinner. You don't even have to buy them a hamburger. All the beautiful women you can handle. It's a seduction. It's the promise of something precious, and women are incredibly valuable. If you read through Genesis 2, Eve was the best part of creation. Worthy of a song. Amen? The first song ever sang was was Adam over his wife. Absolutely true. And our culture just says, guys, you can have it all for nothing. You you don't have to give her your last name so that everybody knows that you're taking care of her. You don't have to buy her anything. You don't have to clothe her. You don't have to suffer for her. You don't have to figure out how women work. Right? Right? You don't have to figure that out. And then we just love our distractions as well. Because squirrel. We love our distractions because it's much easier. Squirrel. We love our distractions because it's easier to be distracted. Squirrel. We love our distractions because it's easier to be distracted than to deal with squirrel. Real life and responsibility and to look at the world and see there there is eternity happening in people's hearts everyone i know is going to either live forever with jesus or or die forever without him and what i do every day matters i don't want to deal with this amen ever notice that When the reality is that uh, you're, we're supposed to be dying. We're just supposed to be dying all the time in our families, right? We're supposed to be living for the glory of God. That's the issue. I'm living for the glory of God. And God tells me if I've married somebody, which means I've covenanted before the Lord and people to be with them until I die, then I'm going to be dying for them every day. God's word says, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her in order to purify her. This is supposed to be our life. Just just dying every day. Like when you get up there and you exchange the rings, and you're all excited. But essentially, guys, you just swallowed a hand grenade that's going to explode in slow motion for the next 60 years. <laughs> if you ever see the slow-mo videos where it's like, <laughs> the water, there's blowing things up. <laughs> that's supposed to be marriage. Yeah, and this isn't, I'm not even talking about her. I'm just talking when a guy marries a woman, Jesus says, I'm going I'm to kill you, man. <laughs> Amen? Because this is how it works. Jesus died to get himself a bride, the church, which is us. And God saw in the future that that's what he was going to do. And he says, I want to do something in everyone's life that will be a picture for them to understand my son coming to die to win himself a bride. I'm going to design sexuality to work like that. The difference is that Jesus died first and gets his bride second, whereas we get our bride first and then we die second. That's how it's supposed to work. And that's what it means to be living for the glory of God in your marriage. You're supposed to be regularly dying to what you want to do and who you want to be and how you want her to behave and what you want her to do for you so that you can make her life better in the Lord, that you can help her to live for the glory of God herself. And the, and the, and the great news is this is super easy to do, right? Squirrel. Oh, Rob, are you talking? The game started. It was my phone was buzzing. Highlights from the Jets game. I'm just teasing a little bit there. And this can sound like a downer. Okay, this can sound like a guilt trip, but it really isn't. My burden is that I would actually help save your life from being wasted. Because you know it. Going from one relation to the next just leaves you empty and jaded and hurt. Okay? 
Being selfish in a relationship just leaves you frustrated and angry and doing things you regret. Not living for the glory of God in your family ruins what you actually want to do in your family. Amen? Have you ever noticed that? Can can I just get some hands up from people who feel like that's their experience? Not living for the glory of God actually sabotages what you actually want to get out of being in a church family or being in a biological family or an extended family. And so I'm, I'm saying hard things because I actually want your life to be glorious. I think the Bible said somewhere that wounds from a friend can be trusted. Does anybody here feel flattered by Robert Balfour this morning? No? Then you can probably believe me. I don't get anything out of uh, feeling like a jerk this morning by saying hard things. I'm just going to go home and try to go to bed and forget about it. (laughs) That's why you can trust me. I'm just telling you the Bible. That's why it hurts so much. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. What you don't want to trust is someone who just tells you nice things and then asks you for money. You know that guy. Right? He's just around till the money dries up. That's not me. And I'm saying it within striking distance. Any one of you can throw your Bible at me, so I must mean it. I'm not hiding behind a TV camera or something like that. So how can we respond? You guys have been great. Let me just give you a few things you can think to do. Number one, I want us to take our family lives, and I want us to expect them to be really hard. Okay, if you think you're Caesar, if you think you're Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus, you imagine that everything should go your way. And if someone says something you don't like, you can either exile or kill them. If somebody has something that you want, you can kill them and take what they had. And if some people do things you don't like, you can raise a legion and go get them destroyed. That's how Caesar thinks. I have the right to get what I want. People who are living for the glory of God, having read the Bible expect family life to be terribly painful and hard because that's every single family in the Bible. Nobody had an easy or great family in the Bible. The first family, the eldest son killed the second born. That's where it started. Uh, Rachel and Leah accidentally end up being married to the same guy and spend the rest of their marriage fighting until Rachel dies young in childbirth. Abraham married his half-sister, Yuck. (laughs) Who then convinced him to make a baby with the maid? Ouch. And those are like the heroes of the faith. So if you feel messed up, if you feel like it's painful, if you feel like it's hard, this is so normal. And we should take our expectations to the place where it's like, my expectation is that God will show me how to glorify him in this, this family I have. And not be always wishing for something that they're, they're, that nobody has. Yeah. I, I'm gonna. I want to walk with God and glorify Him by trusting Him and obeying Him and believing Him in this family. That's the only option we have. So let's bring our expectations down real low. <laughs> Doesn't sound like the gospel, does it? Let's just bring it. Let's bring our expectation of family down real low to believe that our job is just to glorify God in it and that being faithful won't be fun. Like, a lot of us would be ready to really glorify God if we knew it would just feel so good all the time while we were doing it. Oh, God, I'd live for you if it just felt so good all the time. All the time, you know, like this. We're doing the side wave, like it's a half hula. Whoop, 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 whoop. I'll glorify my family if I live in Hawaii. Whoop, 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 whoop. It's good, 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 good. If I can selfie every awesome moment, dad in it. Pound sign, awesome sauce, pound sign. That's not how it works. Do it, being faithful, somebody, nobody, just hashtag pound sign. This is what a pastor who doesn't care looks like. There we go. It's, it's just going to hurt a lot, Right? And we're called to glorify God in the midst of it. And while we're, at, while we're faithful, God will make it fruitful. That should be our expectation. It's hard for us, but then when we look back, God does awesome things. It's hard now, but as we look back, God does awesome things. That's what God wants to do. He wants to take people who are living for his glory and are saying yes to the mess and saying, as you do your stuff, I will show up to change things. Amen?
So that, I'm just calling us to that. It's going to be hard. You know what? The rest of your day is going to be hard. If you're hoping for a Mattishlow, guess what's going to happen? Someone's going to come and ring your doorbell right when you're at the REM sleep part that you cannot recover from for the rest of your day. That should be normal. We should expect that kind of stuff. Second thing we can do is we can make this God-glorifying commitment that whatever God gives us, we're going to try to turn a profit on it. Okay, so when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he told this story. He said there once was this king, he had three servants, he entrusted them each with a bunch of talents. And a talent is like a big block of silver or gold, um, or silver coins or gold coins. And he said, put it to good use until I return. Right? You remember this. And then he came back and said, what did you do? One guy doubled it, another guy doubled it, one person did nothing with it. And the person who did nothing with it got cast out of the kingdom. And essentially what Jesus is saying is whatever God gives you, Try to turn a profit on it until he returns. And we want to think big, right? We're just into writing our own stories and imagining our own glory. And we're like, man, when I become super missionary, then I'll really be turning a profit on things. And it doesn't work like that. It's like, what do you get today? So on Friday, you go to work and you've got this massive head cold and you're just depressed. How do you tr- I'm sitting there going, how do I turn a profit on this? When I go home, I think I'm going to try to be cheerful, and I'm going to ask if I can help Jackie do something fun instead of me for the glory of God. Like that's how you, I'm sick. It's not about me. It's about God's glory. How can I turn a profit on this? Right? And God every day is going to give you a bunch of stuff. He's just going to throw broken things into your lap. Here's a kid's spaz out. Make some money on this thing. Improve it for me, for my glory. How, how can you take a kid spazzing out and make it awesome for God? Well, I don't want to have to make that awesome for God. Well, that's what he's given you, right? Okay, so typical, maybe you're a wife at home and husband comes home, didn't notice anything you did all day. This thing got cleaned. You cleaned cleaned above the door frames, the dust did, and he didn't notice anything, right? Sorry. I don't don't know you, young lady. I don't know. Are you new to church? Um, So God hands you the feelings of unappreciation. Turn a profit on this for me. What do you do for the glory of God? Amen? We know how to respond in a way that doesn't bring glory. That's Caesar Augustus. How dare you? (laughs) Me and my regal importance. Do you not know whose presence in which you stand? Praetorian guards behead this heathen swine in my presence. That's how they acted. I'm just taking you back in time. Or, right? Or to flip the coin. So, husbands, your wife is informing you of things that you have done wrong. That you didn't even know existed. What? How do you turn a profit on this? I didn't even know there was frames above the door that could gather dust. Right? What's normal? I feel really disrespected. I'm out of here. No, stop. You're in it for the glory of God. How do you turn a profit on this? How do you make this about Jesus? How do you take something bad and make it good in faith and obedience to God's word? It's really simple, and it really does change things. Okay, whatever is in my lap, God wants me to trade it up. Take this, trade it for something better, give it back to the Lord. And here's another God-glorifying activity. The family life really is about the Lord first and us bringing him glory by trusting him and obeying his word, doing things God's way, even if it costs us, realizing that the world and family does not revolve around us, but actually it all revolves around Jesus. Then we should do a lot of praying for our family. That's where I want us to start. If it's about God, then we should ask him to intervene before we do. In one sense. I know there's moments where the kids run into the street and you don't necessarily have time to get on your knees and repeat the Our Father and then get up and, and jump in front of the truck, right? But if the kids need some correction, there should be some prayer in there because it is about the Lord, not about us being irritated, right? If there's a conflict with the old Sposaroonies, if we're not praying for our wife, don't, don't say anything. If you're not praying for her, for her good, God, hallow your name in her, make her love you, make her trust you, glorify you, make her want to believe in you, make her whole and healthy and trusting you. Just, you we just, shh. You're just going to make the father mad. 
Save yourself the trouble. Pray first. Talk second. Ladies, this might be a bigger challenge for you to do. (laughs) But same deal, right? Same deal. This is about the Lord, so we should be praying first. Acting second. And that kind of habit, again, not to make a law out of it that you're beating yourself up, that habit will help it to actually be about God's glory. A physical family, a church family, a small family, a big family, for God's glory. Why don't we pray? And the band can come up and lead us in a song. Father, I just give you your praise. Father, you're amazing. And I thank you, Lord, that you talk tough with us and you love big. And I pray, Lord, wherever I, like, I'm hurting from this too, Father, but Lord, where everyone has just been touched by something, Lord, help us to not recoil, help us to not judge, help us to not um, be angry, but actually to turn to Jesus and turn to you and answer the question, how do I glorify you now? Father, where we've been maybe sinning, Lord, help us just to confess and be forgiven so that we can repent and walk in hope with you. And Father, my prayer is that as you help us to really live for your glory, we would have so many testimonies of people just saying, this changed everything. This changes everything. Church, this changes everything. So church, let me just tell you, not trying to say the whole thing, but the reality is in your family, your church family, your physical family, your broken family, If God is for you, who can be against you? If the Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for you, how will he not also graciously give you everything you need to live for his glory? It really who can really bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? So live for his glory. Christ Jesus the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God and is interceding for you because nothing can separate you from his love. Hear the call to live for his glory. And all God's people said,